What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Lease, here with my good friend and co-host and co-founder of Surf and Sales, Richard Harris. We are brought to you this fine day and the rest of the month of March by our good friends and sponsors at Salesforce Revenue Cloud, gong.io, as well as lead411.com. And we are talking with somebody that I've never met, I've been referred to him a few times. I don't know if uh, Richard knows him or not. Not at all. Good, good. This is this is be a fresh, brand new conversation. None of us know anything about each other. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But uh, our guest here today, Marcus Knight, has almost as many, if not as many, uh, different jobs on his LinkedIn profile as I do. So it's all very confusing, which I get as I'm the same way, but he's the founder of Cultured Perspective Inc. And uh, it's a black owned revenue growth consultancy. So welcome to the show, Marcus Knight. Thanks for being here, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Scott and Rich. I'm excited. Okay, first things first, do a proper intro for Cultured Perspective Inc. Since I screwed it up so badly. <laughs> tell, everybody, tell everybody who you are, what you do, and give people context uh, you know, for the episode. Sounds good. Marcus Knight, he, him pronouns. Uh, originally from Chicago, living in Seattle, Washington now. Um, my expertise is uh, go-to-market strategy. So helping organizations scale their businesses from about zero to about 35 million in annual reoccurring revenue. Um, and I've done that at a, at a few companies before, Groupon, Talentben, and uh, Textio in the past. And so what we decided to create with Culture Perspective is a Black-owned uh, go-to-market strategy consultancy uh, to help out in those areas. So, or, so founders and emerging revenue leaders are looking for advice and guidance on you know, how to get to those milestones that they're trying to get to. Then we can go ahead and put that in place. Um, uh, and so that would be, um, you know, anything from, you know, hiring uh, AEs and SDRs, when, when, what's the right type of strategy to put in place for your organization, looking at the market, as well as, um, as you know, potentially being that revenue leader or interim revenue leader for organizations to start. Richard, what we've just discovered is that Marcus and I are direct competitors. Ah, yes. I'm literally <laughs> sitting here, not only my Basically saying Basically the same thing. Marcus, it's, it's hilarious because... I like halfway through the year last year and Scott and I, like we hang all the time. And I, and I literally said to him with all sincerity, like, I don't know what the fuck you do. (laughs) Articulate it at all. Right. Like that, that might actually be one of the quotes of the year. We're we're looking for quotes from every episode now. And Scott, what the fuck do you do? Um, That's a good one. And you articulated it really, really well. Right. And I don't think I've ever heard Scott talk about, and maybe you do now, Scott, I don't know. Do you ever use the phrase go to market? Yeah, I just don't tell you what I do on purpose. So you're lost. That's <laughs> like I don't know how to explain what I do. <laughs> right. Literally writing that down. So so Marcus, I want to I'm going to ask what for me feels like an obvious question, but again, look, I'm a white guy. So you know, it's super important and love that it's, you know, promoting that you're black owned and going to go to market. And again, through my own bias, because I live in Silicon the Valley area, right? I don't see a lot of Black-owned SaaS orgs, in my opinion. And maybe I'm just blind to them and I don't know, right? Are, where are they? Are there not as many? Or is it like, well, Richard, you're right. Statistically, there's not a lot of women. There's not a lot of this. There's not a lot of Black. Like, what, what is it? Like, 
give me some perspective that I don't, that I, that I clearly have an, uh, 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 an opinion on, but I don't have any data behind it. Yeah. So I'd say initially there are, you're, you're right in the aspect that there aren't as many black owned SAS organizations out there. Um, that I will say that there are a lot that are starting to be formed as of lately over the past year or so. Um, but again, the biggest problem right now is the lack of capital. Uh, so oftentimes we don't hear about these organizations because they haven't been able to raise the type of capital in order for it to be put in that spotlight just yet. Um, and so for me, I'm always looking for those for those um, individuals, those organizations to see how I can lend uh, some expertise to get them to the level where they can at least raise. So do you, so is it, I mean, we, and we, I know we have to go back a little bit. Is it lack of access, lack of opportunity? Is it in general, there's not a lot of, you know, it's just people of color in sales in general. So there's fewer opportunities for them to get to the next higher rank and then to come to like, again, uh, sum it all yeah. up in like 30 seconds. <laughs> so any and everything that you just said. So lack of resources, yes. Uh, um, and lack of opportunities within uh, organizations to even get that expertise. So I've been in, in software sales for over 15 years and I've always been one of the only, if not the only, um, and, and uh, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how to move up the ranks in order to be at a certain level. So um, what I, what we're doing now is educating um, our communities. Uh, you know, I, I'm very much a, a mentor for uh, sales for the culture, uh, you know, help start that organization. Um, but uh, so that's right now roughly around 700 uh, members worldwide and rapidly growing. Uh, so just giving people access to individuals that have, you know, been through this process, let them know how, how to go through uh, or, or how to navigate these spaces. But then also coaching at the HBCU level, there's 107 uh, universities uh, in, in, the, in the United States. And then also in the elementary school level as well, just to help have people understand that this is an option. And as long as we are make them aware of the option, then they can now take advantage of that. What do you think about, and I, I don't know, like, I, you know, again, I have this vision in my head, right? I love that you're talking about it in elementary. I also like that you're talking about it at college, but, you know, in order to be in sales, you don't need a college degree. Yeah. Right. Like, are, are you seeing that in the high school? Like, is there some level of entrepreneurship at, I don't know if the right word or the wrong word is inner city. Like, that's just where mm -hmm. I think, right? Like, so please correct me there that. Hey, we need to provide, we need to show them this of like, Hey, you know, you can be this smart and you don't have to worry, worry about yeah. going to college. Right. You can, you can do better than a lot of people who go to college in a sales role, mm -hmm. financially yeah. right? providing yeah. for your family and yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and that's where I spend a lot of my time is, uh, you know, being in the Seattle area, going to the local high schools, elementary schools and talking to the kids around, uh, you know, understanding that you don't have to go the traditional path of a university in order to, to change your family dynamic financially. Um, and so so just letting people know that that is out there. One of the biggest things is that they just don't see anyone that looks like them in organization. So what they see, what we see on TV are, you know, basketball and rapping, et cetera. But if you tell people like, hey, you actually sell every day of your life and, and you have a, a skill set that will actually reward you pretty well if you just learn, you know, certain aspects of it. So I want to I'm going to ask one more question, then I'll let Scott yeah. jump in. Uh, I'm still really angry about how he says he doesn't tell me what I do. On <laughs> he does. Uh, who's out there now doing it, right? 
who in the community is the founder, the CEO of a tech SaaS startup, or, hey, if you think you're in sales, you know, and, you know, you don't know about sales for the culture yet, or if you're a VC listening or someone like me, it's like, oh, here are five people you should really pay attention to, right? Um, Like I, and I think probably most everybody on this podcast knows Morgan J. Ingram, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We know a couple of people, but I'm curious, who are the founders? Who are, and what are those companies doing? If they, if they exist yet, they, maybe they don't. Yeah, so when I think about Black SaaS organizations that are out there, like Callingly is one, um, um, I think of Movin. Would um, never have known it, that. Would never, I, you told me that that's who, that they are, right? Oh yeah, and, and billion dollar status as well too. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's that's great. Uh, Movin is another one, which is like a competitor to Uber that's in Africa and Seattle and some other areas as well. Um, and then there's a lot that that are on the rise that still haven't raised the right type of capital. I, I have a company out there that I'm consulting called Acoco, which is a consultancy app to help people of color get kind of like the coaching and training that they need at an affordable level when they move up the ranks into these areas. Got it. <laughs> Professional development then. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Professional development. Mm-hmm. I want to. I want to know more about. I want to know more about why you locked in on the zero to thirty-five million number, as you called it, and I yeah. usually call it the zero to twenty-five million number. Um, and I know why. For me, that kind of zone is so special. But I, I, I want to know, you know, from you, because I don't often hear of anybody, you know, loving that, that growth phase at the same way as me. So I'm intrigued to have met somebody that feels potentially similar as I do. Yeah, I'd say that it's a love hate is what I have for it. How can you be how could you do go to market and not be in the zero to 25 million? <laughs> right. Oh, Fair, fair point, Richard. The, po- the, po- the point is, there's not many people who specifically like to focus on this zero to whatever, you know, number. So yeah, I, I, I about, say for, tell everybody the love hate for people who yeah. don't. What's the love and what's the hate? Well, uh, I mean, the, the short that we all know is that you're building, you know, the rocket ship in midair. So like there's that. So there's it's changing on the fly all the time, just based off of what the market says, what industry is saying, et cetera. So just getting that real real time data to help inform the right type of decisions. Um, zero to I say zero to thirty five because that's what I've been able to do for organizations before I typically like step away and, and go somewhere else. Um, but you know I, I would like it to be up to the fifty million. But right now I'm like the zero to thirty five million is a good spot because you're adaptable as an organization to make the right type of changes. Um, it is hectic. It, it it really is, and so you need some kind of structure in place in order to make sure that we're going to hit the right type of milestones that we're looking to hit, you know, monthly, quarterly, annually. Um, so for me, it's, it's more around the lines of like, it's chaotic at first, but we're putting some structure in place and we're, and we're creating a predictable model as far as revenue. Yeah. I wanna, I'm thinking about a question that I saw on Twitter yesterday. Mm-hmm. And the question was specifically designed for people like us who serve as advisors. And this, this question was, uh, do I take cash or do I take equity, right? <laughs> and I have very strong opinions on this. Richard and I have hosted a lot of 
webinars and done podcasts on on equity and all this kind of thing, trying to make sure people understand truly how it works. Um, but I, I'm thinking for people who are, you know, kind of coming up, who have the ability now to branch out and are starting to go route, you know, on their own and whatnot, um, they don't know. Should I take equity? Should I take cash? I, somebody chimed in yesterday and was like, you should take equity, equity every single time. Because if that company, you know, 10 X's, 20 X's or whatever, you know, you'll make a half million bucks and, and whatnot. And I'm thinking to myself, oh boy, you know, so I want to know, I want to know how you feel about this. I would not tell someone to take equity every single time. I'm, I'm just going to throw that out there right now. Like when you said that, I was like, ooh, I would run. <laughs> but, uh, but for me, I think it depends on where you're at from an advisor standpoint. Um, uh, you know, if you need the cash up front, the capital in order to, to scale your business, take that up front. Uh, um, there, uh, typically how I've operated my business is that I'm more cash focused for the time being with a few um, um, equity plays in the background. And those are organizations that, that the founder and the team is just humming on all cylinders to really get there. Uh, so I, I spend a little bit more time to really understand, is this the route that I should go regarding equity? Um, or should I just take the cash route, the inj injection of cash to help with my business for the, and whatever I'm trying to get accomplished? And most of the time, that's the route that I go with a few different uh, equity plays. So let me let me push push on this a little bit. And it's not that I disagree with you at all. I just want to know your response to this same pushback that I got. So the, the pushback is basically like, well, then aren't you, uh, you know, maybe not taking on the best clients because you know if, if you're taking on the best clients you'd be willing to bet on the equity and if you were willing to bet on yourself to help them you would bet on the mm -hmm. equity that's kind of the, the yeah push. how do you respond to to that it just depends on where you're at in the business aspect so for instance in like in your yeah 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 like as my business is growing and scaling or if that's what my goal is then maybe it's not, and, and it's going to take while, a while before, years before you actually see that equity uh, turn into something, then I would rather take the cash first. Um, but that being said, um, if it's a long-term partnership, we can always talk about a cash and equity play or split to some degree, which is, which is something that I'm always interested in. And then the other piece is, is um, equity is never a for sure thing. Right. Like like, you know, zero percent of zero is still zero. Right. So so for me, I'm looking at trying to get organizations. Wait, wait, wait. Or let me let me I got to do that math. Zero percent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah, all right. Cool. <laughs> There's my math education right there. The, um, the is is then the best case scenario for somebody to get both equity and cash. So you're solving the near term and having a long term opportunity. It, 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 again, it, would, it depends on timing, but that's the strategy that I like. Like I, I am, I am much more in that camp that you get both as opposed to one or the other. And when you and when you think about taking equity, and then I'll let Richard ask mm -hmm. the next question. When you think about taking equity, for you, what is the math that you're doing in your head? Right? What what are you saying to yourself? Well, you know, realistically, I might make fifty grand on this, mm -hmm. or are you saying? okay, the, realistically, this equity, if all goes well, will be worth 500K. Like, what is the, what is the number that you're thinking of what, when you're saying yes to equity, like, and trying to put a valuation on it where suddenly it becomes 
enough to kind of move you. Uh, and again, this is a whole, this, I'm asking you all these questions totally selfishly because <laughs> exact, exact conversation that I was having on Twitter yesterday with a few people. So, so I think it just depends on, on the company that you're going to, like the client that you're going to be working with and, and ultimately what are you looking to do for them and, and like the short versus long-term. So when I think about, you know, like, Hey, this is, it's going to be 50 K that I'm going to get from them. Is that going to be pretty quickly or is that going to be long-term? It also is going to determine on how much effort and work that I have to put into the organization in order to get there. So if, if I'm going to be spending pretty much, if I'm going offline to, uh, for a while to work solely with this organization to get them to certain milestones, then I'm, then I definitely am going to lean heavier on the equity, uh, equity piece, but there has to be some kind of down payment up front just so that I'm able to pay the bills but uh but there is is more going to be on the on the equity piece just because of the potential that the organization will have if we get all of this right so i'm going offline from most other clients in order to make this work so the opportunity cost of not of, of doing that richard yeah 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 um this is good so first i guess my first question is scott agree or disagree with marcus before i ask a different question I don't, I don't disagree with him at all. I mean, you know this, Richard, but I always, uh, if I have to pick between the two, I'm taking cash every single time. And if I'm not- to, If you're forced to pick between the two. If I'm forced to pick between the two, ideally I take both. Right. So That's, that's what I want every single time. But so, if, if somebody forces me to pick one or the, one or the other, then I'm taking the cash. I don't, I don't, here's the other reason, and I don't think Marcus pointed this out, but, um, it was implied, I guess, but I'm not patient. I, I don't want to wait three, five, seven, ten years to get paid out. Do you know how weird it is? Hopefully, this is going to sound awful, but like, it's weird to get a check from a company that you don't even really remember helping like seven years ago. That's a bizarre kind of kind of thing. So I, I just, I'm impatient, man. You know, I, I want, I want to get paid now. I want to get paid now, but, but he's right. Like it so much depends on what you need for your business. Like, mm -hmm. do I need that capital to grow my business somehow? Do I have, you know, a full bank account and the cash that I could make from consulting? Is that like irrelevant? And so I might as well just bet it all on equity and try to hit a home run. Like it, it's very, he's completely right. What I want is for people who are brand new to this to hear how people like Marcus think about these things. Cause I don't necessarily think that somebody who's brand new to advising, who's brand new in their business, who hasn't made millions of dollars before. I don't think that they should be super excited to take one or two advisory gigs equity only. And they get, you know, a couple thousand shares. And realistically, if those get to 10, $20 a pop valuation, they're going to make 50 to 150 grand right. after, after taxes. Yeah. I don't know that they do that math. So I, I, I'm glad, you know, Marcus and I, I think are on the same page. Yeah, I think yep. the, the only difference is if you're entering this part of your business life, right, you might take a couple of those because A, they can't afford you and B, you need the logo and the story and the experience, right? That, that's there, that's another good point. That's another, right? yeah. It's worthy to say, okay, I, you know, I'm building my business. I've got something here. 
I need some logos. I need someone to be a reference for me. So yeah, I'll trade, I'll trade a little bit early. Like there's, I think we all know there are deals you do, whether you're a SaaS org or a consultant like us, there are deals you do your first year, maybe even your second year in business, you never do again. Right? Yes. yes. There's so much value to what can become of all that. So um, Marcus, I want to, I want to ask you a totally different question. Um, you mentioned earlier that, you know, the reason there's not a lot of, of, um, uh, of people of color is because you don't see them, right? Well, what did you see? What got you here? What made you go, I'm going to be a business guy. I want to be a salesperson. Were you always the entrepreneurial kid, you know, hustling and, you know, doing something like what, you know? Yeah. You? Um, yeah. I, I, I've always had the entrepreneur spirit. Like I, you know, I, um, I knew that I wanted to be a businessman, whatever the hell that was. But that's that's what I knew I wanted to be at, at a young age, right? So, but so what was I, so? What's your first? What's your first memory of I want to be a businessman? Like, do you did you see something? What what? I, I don't remember what I saw exactly. Or maybe it was just people. Like being in Chicago, just seeing people wearing suits and going to and from. I was like, oh, they they seem important. You know, so I think that's all it was. And then when you're in high school trying to figure out what are you going to do with your life? I'm like, I want to do what I see people downtown doing. So, so I went to school and, and, uh, uh, started focusing on business and marketing and realized that all the things that I wanted to do, like, and and that college level, it really didn't like, it wasn't computing. It was just like, this still seems so foreign to me as opposed to what I'm trying to do with like, I love to build things. I love to like get things off the ground and watch them grow. Um, And so it wasn't until I actually uh, got into uh, uh, a Groupon and started doing like, you know, sales for them that I saw that there was a different way to do sales. And then after a while, I quit and just started my own organization, which was an on-demand butler service called My Butler, servicing New York and Chicago. So what, so again, I, I just want to keep pushing on this. So you go into a place like Groupon. Did you see people like you or no? I mean, this is, I hear this phrase a lot. Like I don't mm-hmm. see a lot of people like me. Yep. And, I, and I want to ask from the concept of I'm the white guy interviewing or I'm the white person. I'm not, I'm not the person of color, right? I'm not the minority, whatever that minority is for those who are listening what's it like for you to walk into this place? Cause I, I don't know what it's like. I could never mm-hmm. understand that. Right. Um, you know, yeah. is it uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. How do we make you more comfortable? Or is it like, don't overthink it either, Richard. Like yeah. you know, now, now you're reaching too hard. <laughs> I'd say that when I first started out in my career, it was very uncomfortable because I'm trying to assimilate in order to, to uh, get up, move up the ladder, like, like get the position that I want and then to keep working my way up. And when I was at Groupon, there was a, an individual, there were, there were several black people that worked in the organization, but there was one that was on the revenue side uh, with me. Everyone else I knew was probably in engineering. And I'm like, well, that's not me. I'm already out of that mix. Uh, so trying to figure out what it looks like to be in sales and how to progress your career in sales as a black person um, and not seeing very many people look like, like me, except for the one, um, it, it started to force me to like go and scour the web to find more people. Like that's what that's what I was doing. I'm like, hey, where, where's where are there more black people that work in SaaS and just trying to find organizations that, you know, I could see some representation that look like me and then depend and then see if I wanted to work there. When I now when I started to work at Groupon, I was like their second revenue. I'm sorry, not Groupon, Textio. I was their second revenue um, um, uh, sales rep. 
And I like let them know um, out the gate that if I was going to build this organization from the revenue standpoint, then I wanted to see it be as diverse as possible. And I meant that all across the board and was given the green light to, to make that work. And I said, I'm looking for people that don't have traditional backgrounds that, that um, come with diversity in so many different ways, because I think that will actually uplift our, our revenue org and help us sell better. And ultimately it did. Yeah, you said earlier, I want to see if there is a difference and if there was a switch you had to, to, to flip. You know, there's this, I don't know if the word's right, assimilation, like you have to sort of come in and you, you I think you said the word intimidated or uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? When, when did you give yourself, and maybe, maybe it is, maybe you were, maybe I don't know you well enough. When did you go from assimilation to authentication? From like, okay, I'm going to stop and I'm going to own who I am and I'm going to be more comfortable and allow myself to be more me, whatever that is for you. And, and if I'm off and you're like, well, Richard, I never experienced that, then then please tell no. me. No, you're, you're spot on, actually. <laughs> um, uh, I'd say that it was when I moved to the Bay Area and worked with uh, Pete Kazanji. Um, uh, basically, he we would have a lot of conversations um, and I would just let him know that like, Hey, like, like, I just need to be my authentic self. And he was like, why aren't you your authentic self? Like no one's stopping you from that. And what is, but what's the difference by the way? Like yeah. for you, right? Everybody's different. I've had a little bit of this conversation with Katie um, yeah. and Morgan, but what is your assimilated self versus your authenticated self? Yeah. So authenticated self is that I get to show up exactly who I am. So meaning that like, I don't necessarily wear uh, you know, suits and stuff like that. And I know in, in Silicon Valley, et cetera, that's not a thing in, anyway, <laughs> but, 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 you know, coming from Chicago, it was, you know, so, uh, so, so, uh, so, you know, being able to dress a certain way, being able to understand that I talk a certain way that's different and, but it still, it, it doesn't mean that I am, uh, 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 uneducated. It's just, it just means that I have a different vernacular that in order to get my point across. And once I was able to just uh, like do those things or feel comfortable doing those things, I saw, um, every aspect of my career just increase from revenue, from mentorship, from, you know, just pretty much my connections and networking even. So how do you, I'm going to go, go deeper, right? You, you said you used the word vernacular. Mm-hmm. What did that mean when you said that? <laughs> so, so <laughs> there are ways in which that I talk when I'm, you know, when I'm hanging out with my friends, when I'm at home, with my, when I'm with my family, et cetera. And bringing that self to the office was exactly what I wanted to do. So, so um, pr- prior to that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I'm like, you know what? I have to act. So give me, can you, can you give us an example of what you used to he do? Wants to know the specific, yeah. wants to know specific <laughs> words or terms. I, what I want, I want under, to understand the experience. And I don't, I don't want to mm-hmm. put Marcus on the spot. I want to understand the experience because, I mean, I certainly polish myself a little bit. Scott, mm-hmm. less than me, right? Scott's always been that. But no. we're also... We're also two white guys in a white guy world, right? Like, so I'm trying to understand that for those who are listening, one, to learn more, but two, to let other people know, particularly, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully this gets into your culture and the group mm-hmm. or that those people who are listening can walk away going, oh yeah, I need to do that more or do that less. So that's that's the reason yeah. I'm pushing you on this. Yeah, no, no, I, I love this conversation, by the way. Um, so for me, it was like, you know, I don't say that things are like, 
hot or things are 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 awesome necessarily but i may use the word like dope like like yo this is dope like this is something that is really really you know you know right. interesting to me and, and uh, that's just one example but i'm just saying like those type like that's more of the phrasing and wording that i would that i would use on a regular basis uh than something like awesome or you know incredible or whatever the whatever other synonyms there and it's, are it's for it. funny to me if, if i if i were in a meeting with you and you said that's dope i'd be like oh wow i'm 52 <laughs> and he's using cool words like he thinks i'm cool <laughs> enough to hear that like 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 to me, I, I could had nothing would have nothing to do with your background, at least in my head. What so what advice do you give to these people, right? So you you blazed a trail for yourself. I know mentorship matters. Mm-hmm. What do you tell that high school kid, that college kid, the person who's just out of college in their first SDR role about that? Um, my impression from what I've learned is that non-white people have to get so far conforming and then they're willing to let themselves be authentic, mm-hmm. right? For whatever reason, right? And I don't know if that's the right way to do it or the wrong way to do it, but I'm. what advice do you give to people to support that? I'd say that- Sorry, Not that, to support that, it, but to support them being authentic to themselves. Yes, yeah, gotcha. Um, I, I'd say that that is actually changing over the past several years that that you're seeing more people of color being their, their authentic selves out the gate because of things that, you know, I, I've been able to do, KD, Morgan, et cetera, uh, being able to like say like, hey, if we would have known this early on in our, in our career, we probably would have gotten so much further. So just letting them know that like, hey, you can start out the gate by being yourself. Let your intellect speak for itself. And, 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 I, and I know that that can be, you know, kind of challenging for someone that's like, I don't even know what that looks like, you know, in this type of environment. And so we just give them kind of examples of, of like, Hey, whenever I'm I'm having conversations with different revenue leaders, like the content in which we're talking about is is much is much further going to outweigh whatever else you know people may think about me because the content will actually speak for itself. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, it's interesting too. Like I feel, you know, I feel like this is the part of what happened in 2020 finally where that was like the final thread of like okay <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not holding back and and I didn't I mean whether that was politically or socially but it also just meant at the individual level like this is who I am now and you're gonna you're gonna it's up to you non-person of color to accept or reject me and if you reject me then you know f you right like that's the impression yeah. I've gotten and I support um but I think 2020 also helped that too. Um, and I think you guys helped pave that way too, as well. Like you got us there and then it was, and it, you would have still gotten us there. And the sadness is that it took something like 2020 to sort of bust open the bust down the wall. Yeah. I'd say that that was the biggest turning point uh, for me. Uh, you know, I, being a revenue leader at a set at an emerging SAS organization and watching the murder of dead bodies, you know, happen quite frequently I, I was like, you know what, I think that I need to step away and do something differently because I am more concerned about my community than I am about the KPIs that go along with, you know, whatever we're trying to do. I have one last question. I know I already said that, but this, so, and I've done this with a couple of clients where, where there has been the only, and I would, I would come in and it was, I want to say this was around Ferguson, the time mm-hmm. in Ferguson. 
And I asked the woman, I said, you know, has anybody talked to you about what's happened this week? And she's like, well, they had a company meeting and, you know, they sort of, you know, tried to talk about it, you know, but it clearly like wasn't. So what do we do better? What do we in leadership, right? Obviously any person of color, certainly what's happened over the last week with the, the attack on the Asian American community, um, what can we do better in these situations to help? The first thing is address it head on and and don't like gloss over it. So, you know, uh, you know, it's one thing to put the social posts and stuff up. Yeah, but, but how do I address it head on without looking like an idiot? Um, I think that we just we just just be vulnerable. So if we're at a company setting, then we put out some kind of statement internally and, and host a meeting and, and just say that, you know, we don't have the answers, but we are here stating in solidarity with our you know people of color communities. And we want to create space for for them to you know, grieve, whatever it is that they're going through. Um, what, 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 I, what we did at Textio was that we would take, um, whenever something was happening, a statement was put out internally, that community could then take off of work for, you know, however long that they needed in order to deal with whatever they were dealing with. And then we would find ways, not uh, find ways in which we could help invest in that community. And, and I'd say, we should start to do that before something tragic happens. But but just saying like that, that's one thing that's practical now. Um, uh, the other thing is, is that be proactive in these situations regarding uh, regarding the the inclusivity that we want to see. So if you're if you're an all white board, all white uh, executive team, what can we do differently to add people of color to those levels in order to help? with with um with attracting more individuals uh and within the organization that way what's one thing that's kind of interesting <clears throat> for me at least that i've experienced and felt um in the last six months probably that i never have before you know you use this phrase the only and kevin has kd has used this phrase for years and mm -hmm. kd's my neighbor we hang out all the time um i was telling him the other day that I seem to be becoming the token white guy on panels about sales and race and diversity with people of color and women, all this. And he had like this huge laugh about it. And, I, and, I, and I, I'm like, how do I, what, what should I feel about this? Like, I don't know what to, I don't know what to feel or what to, or what to, or what to think. Um, so as somebody who's presumably been on the opposite side of that, Lord knows how many times, like, what do I do? What do I do with that? Should I be proud of it? Should I embrace it? Should I be an annoyed with it? I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with it. I, I would say it depends on your heart. And Scott, like I'd say that for me, it, it would be embrace it um, and, and use it as a way of learning, uh, from people that don't look like you for whatever reason, right? Like, I, I think that there are some learnings that you get from being on those panel discussions that you can then take back and, and talk to your audience ab about, which like yeah. what we're doing right now. Yeah. I think it's because partly because I've been very outspoken, um, mm -hmm. exactly over the last year. And so I know, you know, my friend, Nikki Ivy's like, mm -hmm you're a huge advocate. We have to have you there. Like I get that kind of stuff, but mm -hmm. I have like a, this internal kind of laugh where I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> you know? And KD is like, welcome to my world. You son of a bitch. <laughs> right. 
Well, I'll, I'll pull us out of here for a second. And uh, yeah, I want to ask one more question before we give you a chance to, to kind of take over. We want to thank Salesforce, Revenue Cloud, as well as Gong and Lead411. You mentioned something earlier, a while, a while back, but you talked about um, you know scaling your business. And when you're in business for yourself, the hardest thing to do is to figure out how to scale yourself. And if you should scale yourself, I think needs to become part of the, the conversation because we've been so trained in SaaS to be grow, 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 grow at all costs, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you have to scale yourself? Can, is it okay to just be content? If you are going to scale yourself, how are you doing it? Mm -hmm. I'd say that it, it, is, it depends on your business model and, and, and your um, work-life balance. Uh, it will depend on if you want to scale or if you should. Um, I was from, so I started my consultancy last year at this time. And for up until January of this year, I was um, the sole operator. And it, and for me, it was becoming very problematic because I'm working all day and all night for uh, consulting to try to like make sure that I'm providing, uh, providing a, a, a nice living. But the issue is, is that that's not sustainable or scalable for me. And so what I wanted to do was take a, take a different approach and, and highlight some of the most talented black revenue leaders that I know. And, and then that way we can come in and lead with equity when we're, when we're advising organizations as well on how to make your sales and revenue teams more equitable from the start so that we don't have to, you know, go backwards in time, if you will. And so once I started to reach out to Nikki and Larry and, and other individuals, they were like, this is a great concept. And ultimately what it did was it just freed up my bandwidth to do more. So real specifically, if you're willing to talk about it, yeah. what are the things that broke? Oh, <laughs> um, oh wow. Let's see. Uh, so the things that broke for me were uh, actually taking on more than I could chew when it came to clients at the time. So like being able to turn around the right type of, um, of insights for the organizations became very problematic. Like I, I was staying up like most of the night to make sure that I could, that I could provide uh, the right um, insights in a timely fashion. All that did was my, like I broke as an individual. Um, the other, the other thing uh, was uh, just understanding that while I have a skill set where I can do a lot of things, I don't have to do a lot of things. So why am I in charge of of uh, accounts receivable? Why am I in charge of social? Why am I in charge of all these things? So I'm like, you know what? There are people who are way better at this that can do it way more efficiently than me. And so from that standpoint, I just had to like bring more people on. on stage. Uh, why ahead, am Richard. I laughing at you? Why? Go ahead, Richard. Go ahead. Richard. Like, go ahead. I, I still suck at it too, but I've been working on it the last two years. Last year, I've been telling Scott, like it's, it's like dragging, it's like pulling teeth with Scott. It took me three years to convince him to go solo. <laughs> then it took me forever to get him to write a book, which actually yep. happened before he went solo. Then it took him forever, like. <sighs> well, if history, if, if history is any indicator, Richard, I'll eventually succumb and start to hire help. See? <laughs> you always, breakthrough. You always, I always take your advice, Richard. It just takes me years. I know, I know. So. <laughs> But I keep dangling the, the, the money carrot in front of you, which is usually your biggest motivator. Mm -hmm. yes. well, well, Marcus, this has been a lot of fun, man, and uh, super insightful. Wonderful to get to know you. 
how can we be helpful to you? Um, I'd say connect with me on LinkedIn. We are already connected, but uh, you know, anyone else that wants to connect with me on LinkedIn, Marcus Knight. Um, also, if there's any organizations that are uh, looking for go-to-market strategy and equity work, like we're we're here and we and you know we're at cultureperspective.com. Uh, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Thank you so much. So um, anything anything we can do for you? What can we do for you aside from getting your he's asking, voice? Out there? He's asking again. He's like, I'm not gonna let you go. <laughs> Um, um, I would say, uh, actually, I, I do have something. So being part of the sales for the culture uh, community, um, one thing that I'm looking to do is, is um, allow for people to, uh, to mentor or give insights to emerging revenue leaders, potentially that are people of color. Um, so if I come across any individuals who are looking to make the, that next step, that next leap, obviously I'm a resource for them, but I'd love to get other perspectives in there. So if y'all would be interested, uh, just let me know. Happy yeah. to do it. I'll, I'll even volunteer us if you guys ever do a, an event and awesome. want us to come in and talk about something or just answer questions or something, we'll gladly do it. And oh, yeah. awesome. I certainly don't. The way I said that makes me feel like, oh, I'm so important for your community. Like that's not the intent. Like I, you know. no, I don't. I didn't get that. No. So, <laughs> so that, yeah, I, it's really, it's really just that we we have that much free time on our hands that we'll yeah. just <laughs> this That's really what it is. Scott and I will make the time. So <laughs> now we will make the time. We would we would we would be honored. That would be a lot of yeah. lot of fun. And uh, count us count us in whenever you need something. Sounds cool. good. I appreciate it, guys. All right, Marcus. All right, Marcus, thank you so much, man. This has been a real pleasure. I'm, I'm glad to know you. And I look forward to, to just finding ways to hang out with you more. Most definitely. I'm excited about that opportunity for, for all three of us. Yeah, me too. <laughs>